This is the God and Government Podcast. I am your host, John Steinrich. Welcome to the Free Speech Zone. We are back and ready to go with a new season of podcasts for all of our listeners out there. Very excited about that. And we have a very important uh, topic that uh, is personal in nature, but also touches the political, economic, and spiritual. And we'll be getting to that in just a moment. But before we do so, I am going to bring on, as always, my wingman, Mark Richardson. How's it going, Mark? John, how are you doing? How's like, how's your, uh, you know, after after you have done your own Texas, so to speak, how's, like, how's, <laughs> yes. how are you getting used to, uh, you know, life in uh, Texas? Well, you know, I'm getting used to the gas prices being around $2.60 or $2.70 a gallon. That's a good thing, especially compared to $5 a gallon in California. <laughs> I am getting accustomed to people being polite. <laughs> people saying yes ma'am yes sir things like that you know and just like the energy is just so much more chilled out and i I suppose you could probably relate to that you know coming from la i I didn't realize how tense of a city la is and how tense california is despite the beautiful weather would would you say that you know being in north carolina you have the same kind of experience with the, the the culture change yeah you know that's a really good point because i'm up in western north carolina so i'm up in the mountains Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, where we like well, where we live in uh, where we live is about 2,300 miles, 2,300 feet above field, uh, sea level. So okay. even and we're surrounded by the Blue Ridge Mountains. So we're in that mountain range. So even even to something as simple as going for groceries, when you yeah. come out, when you come when you come out of the uh, out of the store and you're driving home, you look up to your right. There's like beautiful mountain range. There's no homes on it. It's just it's just God's God's portrait. Mm. It really yeah. does. It really does set your mind at ease. Yeah, ab- absolutely. We, uh, I'm in the Texas Hill Country, so unlike the the flatlands of much of Texas, I'm I'm actually hearing some rolling hills and beautiful greenery, and you know, it kind of, uh, you know, it's it's a nice a nice change from sort of the the concrete, um, you know, semi prison <laughs> that LA is. But uh, anyway, we're we're gonna uh, take a somewhat of a deep dive into this phenomenon that's called the Texas. Um, which has been going on for a while. And Texas is, uh, for our, our listeners, uh, basically the uh, out-migration of uh, Californians and largely landing up in Texas. So that's my situation. Mark Richardson, my uh, wingman, uh, he passed over Texas to go to North Carolina. What was your ultimate decision maker to go to North Carolina? Well, it was, um, I guess the big thing for us was like, Texas is a beautiful state, but it's a little hot. Especially yes, in the is. summertime. That it is, and, yes. Uh, and and North, Carolina, North Carolina has a nice moderate temperature, especially where we are up in the mountains. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. we could drive down the hill and get, especially in the summertime, maybe a 5 to 10 degree bump upward mm. uh, like from where we live. So it's, it's it's very pleasant. It's got four seasons. And even when the, even if it is winter, it's not those severe winters that you get. Even in Texas, even uh, you know northern Texas up by the Panhandle, you still get those nasty ice storms. Yes, and, that's uh, true. You do get some snow up there, so you know we'd like snow, yep. but yeah, you know you you don't need it. So well, that's <laughs> you 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 made a weather related choice, and I know you're kind of a weather guy anyway, so that that's that's good. But you know, overall, I think um, you know what we have in common, and so many of our friends have in common, is that uh, we spent a lot of years in California, 
became brokenhearted and disenchanted with what's going on there and decided to get out for for greener pastures. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. So let me let me read a little bit of an article um, which is titled uh, I joined the Texas from California. And uh, this is written by our guest will be on in just a moment. Now, I'm going to tease the listeners just a little bit here. This is the opening paragraph of this article says, after 25 years of mild winters in Southern California, I just celebrated my first icy Christmas from my new home in North Texas. Within the last few weeks, my family and I finally joined the Texodus, the exodus of people abandoning the failed blue state of California and seeking freedom and prosperity in the great red state of Texas. Amen to that. Um, so that article, uh, which is sort of the springboard for our discussion, was written by a gentleman who is a Shillman Fellow at the uh, David Horowitz freedom center he is a podcast host and a, a writer uh with his own Substack page so for all of our guests out there please welcome mark taps into the line mark are you there i am here terrific great you're well thank you for coming back you know we had mark on uh some time ago and we had a, a great listenership to that particular episode. And that was on cancel culture. And you know what, Mark, what, what I remember uh, uh, sort of about your biography is that I, I think you were probably one of the people uh, in, in the can who got canceled before cancel culture was a thing because you, you worked on the, um, the path to nine 11, did you not? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Fortunately, I, I kind of flew under the radar in terms of, being canceled uh, with that project because I was kind of lower down the rung. But my, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a couple of friends of mine, uh, people who worked on it, the director and uh, the writer, you know, they they took quite a hit uh, mm -hmm. from the early cancel culture before it was called such a thing. Yeah. But I, I was definitely part of that and witnessed it. And it had a tremendous effect on me politically. It essentially started my transformation from left to right. Right. Yeah, that's what I, I remember. So I. So you had that moment. It's interesting for me personally, 9-11 itself, the event is mm -hmm. was sort of the flashpoint in waking me up. I think you and I share sort of a, uh, a similar trajectory is that we were not incredibly political, probably leaned yeah. a, a bit left uh, being in the inter being entertainers. Right. Uh, but then yes. these these things happened in the early 2000s that kind of snapped us on. Now, my buddy, Mark Richardson, he he uh, he caught the. <laughs> the red wave years before did you not yeah i was as like just like both of you i was in the entertainment doing a lot of stage and theater back in michigan mm -hmm. and it, it was just it was actually very interesting just sort of watching my trajectory in my life as opposed to my friends you know we went out we drank together we danced together but then seeing how what their belief system was and the dogma that they subscribed to always we we, we would always argue and something was mm. telling me that something wasn't quite right with their logic. And as I, as I, <laughs> as I got older and actually got a job and actually started uh, having to pay bills, that's uh, <laughs> sort of pushed me even further and further away from, from, uh, from their mindset, which sort of caused me to not really talk to them that much anymore, which is, which is a bit of a shame that just because I disagree with their philosophy, all of a sudden I'm a, I'm a evil person. I, yes. you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Trump supporter. I'm, you know, oh, I'm, yeah. a fist, I'm a phobe, you know, name call, name call, name call, etc. But I'm happy and I'm free. You're happy <laughs> and you're free. That's right. Well, let's just dive right into this. So, so Mark Thompson, you finally joined Texas. You, you and I both <laughs> joined Texas in 2023 uh, and yeah. we are latecomers to the game. Um, and 
what you said at the beginning of this article is pretty strident. I think some of some people might might take issue. You say that you left the failed blue state of California. Now, what what can can you describe for us what you mean by that kind of power that strongly worded phrase? Well, when uh, I've been asked a number of times since I moved out here. Um, and here is uh, just outside of Dallas. So uh, that's kind mm-hmm. of the area that I'm in. Yeah. And uh, I've been asked a number of times by people when they find out I'm from California, they say, oh, uh, you know, what brought you out here, work or whatever? And uh, I say, well, the same thing that brought literally hundreds of thousands of other people out of California to places like Texas and Idaho and Virginia or wherever, um, it, the state is collapsing. I mean, it's a, I call it a failed blue state because it's right. uh, It's sort of like a United States equivalent of, of a Venezuela or mm-hmm. something like that, which sounds extreme. But when you're living there and you're watching it happening, you're watching this kind of slow motion descent into becoming a third world. I mean, California is it should be paradise. It's and at yes. one time it was. Uh, it should be paradise, and I've lived there for a long time. I moved out there when I was pretty young. I've spent my whole adult life there, which is nearly half a century. I'm older than you guys. Um, I moved out when I was 20. I left Arkansas because I'm originally from the South. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and moved out to California to be a musician and um, and just in, enjoy the whole cosmopolitan nature mm-hmm. of this, you know, this. Yeah. Uh, awesome state. Uh, I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area and lived there for a long time and watched that place kind of degenerate and then moved down to LA for various reasons um, and uh, spent kind of an almost an equal amount of time here and actually Mm. a little more and watched Los Angeles um, devolve into a third world state too. I mean, the entire state has just been so horribly mismanaged uh, by couple of decades or so of of democrat rule and it just it shows no signs of abating and i have friends who are conservatives and i am now a conservative but for most of that time that i lived in california i was not Mm. um but i have conservative friends who are hanging in there and they're determined to to you know to fight politically and to turn things around and and uh try to shake off this um stranglehold that Democrat, the Democrat machine has on, on politics there, but I don't see it happening. I yep. applaud them for the effort, you know, but uh, yep. I did not see California turning around anytime in the near middle or far future. And uh, besides, I, you know, I had to get my kids. Here's another factor. I have kind of a big family. I have five little kids um, mm. and we had long ago outgrown the house that we were in and we were looking for a new house and, I'm telling you, housing prices in California are astronomically ludicrous. <laughs> yes. Uh, people who haven't looked into it can't imagine how expensive and insane it is. Um, and so there, there's literally no way we could have afforded the kind of place that we needed. We needed a, you know, a big place and preferably with a big lot also, because mm. these little kids that need space to run around in. Um, and all of our friends had been moving away from California for years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bit bit by bit, I watched, uh, you know, friends go. My best friend uh, moved out to my area. In fact, uh, Allen, Texas, which is just northeast of uh, Dallas. Yeah. And he moved out a couple of years ago. And and uh, so 
finally, my wife and I had just started looking around saying, well, we don't really want to leave California. We've got good friends here. Our kids have some friends here. We're part of a great homeschooling co-op because we, we homeschool our kids. We've got a great community of friends. And, um, and so we, we didn't really want to leave, but mm. the reality of things just kept pressing in more and more and with no signs of abating. And so we had to start looking elsewhere. Yeah, well, that's boy, you, you you could have recounted my whole life almost note for note in what you described. Yeah. yeah so that 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 so the, when I read your article, I'm like, I was really moved. Like, boy, his situation is similar to mine. Now, Mark Richardson, you you actually you and I both, uh, you know, we were in the same church together, and we were in a circle of friends together. And we <clears throat> Mark actually and his wife decided that they were going to get out. I think it was 2021, wasn't it? That's correct. Yeah. So. And, and we, you know, we had a discussion group that uh, we were basically the hosts of, and the, the opinion was really divided in that group about, you know, hey, should we go or should we stay? And we still have good friends who are back in, in California fighting that, that good fight. Um, but, but Mark, you, you ultimately, you and Wendy decided to head out. Uh, what, what was the factor for you in, in getting out? Well, Mark, I think, we're actually, I think we're actually closer in age than one might think. Of course, you know. I look, I look fantastic. So I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, but it was, it was, it, it was just, I guess the best way of phrasing it is a death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. It, it was becoming harder and harder. I mean, even when we were making, I mean, we're, we weren't making like Google money, which is what you need basically to even have yeah. a reasonable yes. uh, standard of living out in California. But it was just, I mean, our last, uh, our last apartment, we had to move because they basically almost, you know, rather than a, you know, we've all grown up with a rent increase of maybe $40 here, $60 there, maybe a hundred. But then when you, when you're starting to get like $203, three, 200, the $300 rent increases, mm. you know, things start getting, things start getting, you, where do I go? And then Mark, I think you hit on a very good point in your article where you said the median, that currently now the median, the median income for a house is $746,000. Oh my yeah. goodness. And that's not a mansion. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, we're right. talking about yeah. like a three bedroom house that's maybe, you know, less than 2,000 square feet um, and uh, with a tiny lot. Yeah. And I just want to put that in for everybody who's listening. Think about that for a second. What Mark just said. We're not talking about a four bedroom, you know, four bedroom hot, a four bedroom home, two bed, two, three bath, double garage on maybe a half acre or larger land. We're talking about a postage size stamp house yes. under 2,000 feet, 1,500 to 1,600, somewhere in that neighborhood, yes. $740,000. I can't yes. afford that. I don't know. And I don't know too many people who can't afford that kind of scratch. Yeah. And, uh, that, and that was, yeah. Yeah. And that was it. That was just it. And also, too, from a depression standpoint, I think you talked about this in your article as well, Mark. It's, mm -hmm. it's the failed policies, it's, it's basic <laughs> things. It's, um, I mean, Rudy Giuliani, when he was mayor of New York, talked about this as well. It's the it's, it's a psychological theory. It's the theory of broken windows. Mm, yeah. and, and what that means, folks, is they, they did a thought experiment. They, they went into a neighborhood, they took a car, and they basically broke out a window. They took it in one that was a fairly upscale neighborhood, one that was a little bit more run down. And what they looked at was the, the, the vehicle with the broken windows wasn't touched, wasn't vandalized. It's it's sat in his parking lot, the one in the less 
or I guess a more des less desirable neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It didn't take too long before first it started getting uh, spray painted. Then the other windows got broken. Then the, then the tires were stolen. Then eventually the car was stripped down to the frame. Yeah. And the theory behind that is basically is the idea if the neighborhood, if society in general does not want to keep, they have a keep up, upkeep of the area, eventually you'll start getting a degradation. Trash mm -hmm. starts appearing. Uh, people start dumping their trash. Uh, you start getting more gra graffiti. Uh, crime starts moving into the area. And that basically, to me, is what is what's reflective of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a sobering viewpoint is, I mean, you look at the, you know, the, the glamour, you know, the bright lights, the, the, the spires, the towers of downtown L.A. Yep. Four blocks over and you drive east from that downtown area, you're in Skid Row. And, yes. and we're not, and I'm not, and I'm not talking about a block, folks. I'm talking block upon block upon block of tents. Uh, yeah. It's like people, people walking mm -hmm. in the streets like zombies, drug mm -hmm. use. I mean, it, it it does it does represent a banana republic. Yeah, it really does. You raise a good point. You raise a good point about the crime and the homelessness because that was part of the, the issue for me and my wife too. I mean, we uh, over the years we lived first in a really nice apartment complex um, in Woodland Hills, which if people don't know, it's uh, it's kind of a nice suburb of the LA area. Um, and uh, it was pretty much a, an upscale area. It wasn't Calabasas, you know, where the Kardashians mm -hmm. live, but it was right next, next to story, Calabasas, yeah. <laughs> literally yes. right next. And uh, we lived there and we watched it over the course of a few years degenerate into a really um, drug-ridden neighborhood and in, in, in fact the the people right next door i mean the people in the apartment literally right next door to us were perp walked out of that complex for for dealing drugs at one point out of uh out of their apartment and and three doors down from them another couple fled their apartment because wow. they because uh, because <laughs> law enforcement was on them they just left in the middle of the night so i mean we watched our own apartment complex literally get taken over uh, by people who were dealing drugs and uh, other uh, you know, unsavory elements. And so we moved out of Woodland Hills into a, a house in neighboring Winnetka. We got we kind of lucked out finding a place um, in a quiet block there. but but Woodland, and then we watched from sort of right outside the the window, so to speak. We watched Woodland Hills just degenerate in terms of mm -hmm. of a mass, just mass homelessness and we began hearing about a lot of crimes and there were you know shootings at the apartment complex where we had left Jeez. um yeah it's just it, uh so we we witnessed the the quick degeneracy of that whole area homelessness is just unbelievable it is um and so that also was an issue you know i had i have to watch out for my for the safety of my family you know mm -hmm. and uh um, so even though we were on a quiet street, we were just two blocks away from a fairly major thoroughfare through Winnetka, which also began to downgrade. And uh, so that that's another factor. And, you know, I mean, I, I originally lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. And, uh, of course, that's now just completely <clears throat> catastrophically gone. I mean, in terms of crime and homelessness, and uh, it's just it's a disaster. It used to be this incredibly beautiful city by the bay. <laughs> you know, when I, yes. when I first moved there, uh, I was so excited to live there and loved it for so long. Uh, but it's it's now unlivable. Uh, and Los Angeles, the Los Angeles area is becoming the same way. So that crime and homelessness, 
uh, like you brought up, Mark, and uh, in addition to the outrageous prices. And then, you know, you've got, in terms of the failed policies, you, you've got all of the um, anti-middle class and anti-business yes. attitudes of the, of the Democrats in power. And they're literally driving the middle class out of California. You can see it just degenerating Absolutely, into when I say yes. third world. Yeah, when I say third world country, I'm, it's another way that I that it's similar is that in third world countries, you know, you have these elites who own everything, and they they live in obscene wealth, mm -hmm. and then there's almost no middle class, and then you have just this vast underclass of poor, uh, impoverished people who live in misery. That's what a third world country is like, and that's what California is becoming. The middle class is fleeing, and I'm part of that middle class, um, Me too. just fleeing the state. Well, it's going to you, be a disaster, ultimately. Well, I, I agree with you, I, and I, I have a similar experience in coming to Texas. People do ask me, like, why did you leave? There's any number of reasons. Econo you know, raw economics, you know, when I pay two fifty a gallon of gas compared to five dollars a gallon of gas, right? Or you know, my rent my rent for a three bedroom uh, apartment gets me a one bedroom apartment in L.A. I mean that those are very very simple uh, mathematical things that that make it attractive to get to get out. But there there is more be, beyond that. The quality of life in in a place as paradisical if that's a word as california mm -hmm. is just going down i uh was working in an area uh, before i left called chatsworth so again uh for our listeners chatsworth california is a pretty upscale uh neighborhood in los angeles and right down the street from the the big office complex that i was in um you know across the way was the one of the city council members office the building that i was in we you know i worked for a state agency and one of the big banks, either Chase or Citibank, occupied part of it. But around the corner from us was a was an, an area that didn't have any kind of parking restrictions. And the homeless people in this area decided to congregate with their their you know RVs and all kind of disastrous mess. And you know, within walking distance of this beautiful you know uh, corporate building and and fancy you know neighborhood houses was this massive area of blight and the, the the police would come by every so often to sweep them out there and they would just come back and i and it just it was very poignant to me like this is not the california that i knew back mm -hmm. in the 90s i mean i'm sure there was homelessness then but not now and and i would i would agree that the, the failed policy uh, of the mindset of people in california those who lead it is is one of uh you know okay we're going to try to build more housing that's not the answer. The problem is that you've got people on the street who are mentally ill and uh, strung out on drugs. And I'm sure there's some that have fallen on hard times, but the, the powers that be don't seem to care uh, about finding any kind of solution because they, I think nefariously that their intent is to, like you said, drive out the middle class entirely so that they can have just this Venezuela like uh, tyranny of the oligarchy at the top and yeah. the poor people on the bottom that they can control through vote buying. What do you think, Mark Tapson? I, I totally agree. Uh, I mean, it sounds, you know, these days conservatives are constantly being accused of promoting conspiracy theories, you know, and uh, of course, mm -hmm. after COVID, we all know that practically every conspiracy, so-called conspiracy theory is proved to be true. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't know that there are any conspiracy theories anymore, but um, yeah, it's, it, 
it, it sounds almost conspiratorial to say, oh, you know, the Democrats are trying to drive the middle class out. So that, but that's exactly what's happening, and their policies yes. reflect this. So you, what other conclusion can you draw? Um, it's, you know, other than that, it's intentional. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not just in California. I think we can see now under the Biden administration that that is a nationwide <laughs> agenda of the left. Oh, yes. But, but certainly in California, um, it's been that way for a while now. They just, you know, they bureaucratized businesses to such an extent that that um, successful businesses get out. Um, yeah. And small businesses fail because they they can't manage uh, you know, the taxes and the bureaucratic yes. BS that they're forced to, all, you know, those uh, hoops they're supposed to jump through. Um, so there are no you know, small, I mean, small businesses are failing, big businesses are fleeing. Uh, and that's where the, that's when the middle class leaves. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Let me, let me move on to another topic. I'm going to draw from your article here. Um, and, and this is sort of, um, in regards to the, the culture that California be, has become. Um, yeah. So you write in your article, and then there is the wokeness. <laughs> I and many others want to raise our children in a state that isn't suicidally proud to be on the cutting edge of the ideological insanity that dominates the Democrat Party, such as gender, the gender theory derangement and the corrosive critical race theory being taught as early as pre-kindergarten. Even though my wife and I homeschool our children, we didn't want to raise them in a community and a state in which my family and our fellow Christian homeschoolers constitute an isolated island of sanity and truth. So that, to me, again, resonated quite big time because I had my kids in, in the, the school. I actually wasn't homeschooling. But I had them in the public school. I'm going to give you a, a personal story, Mark, and yeah. then I want you to comment on that. My, um, my, uh, one of my kids was in middle school. Uh, in the seventh grade, and there was a day when somebody at, outside of her middle school on the street had decided to pass out a Bibles to the kids or the families coming into school. They weren't actually on the campus, basically on the street offering Bibles. And uh, after this happened, the principal had to send out, you know, he felt compelled to send an email to the parents saying, oh, we're so sorry about this. This wasn't our people. It wasn't our school. We do not endorse this, and so on and so forth. And yet, Within the curriculum that the uh, school was teaching was the whole gender theory, the rainbow flag, the, the LGBT pride and, and all of this stuff. And it just struck me as as upside down that, you know, the yes. principal here at this public school has to apologize for somebody passing out Bibles yeah. while uh, enforcing a doctrine of teaching seventh graders <laughs> about gender theory theory and lgbt whatever so uh, yeah, and i'm going to turn that over to you to comment on and it's it's you know seventh grade is kind of late these days for kids to be learning about that stuff honestly mm. this uh, critical race theory and gender theory it's being promoted as early as pre-k now um which sounds insane but that is mm. where it begins uh, it used to just be something you faced in universities. You know, you go to you, yeah. your your child would go to uh, college and come back a you know a radical leftist. Uh, now, if your kid goes to pre K, he or she comes home a radical leftist uh, because it's filtered down from the universities. It's corrupted the entire educational system, which is ninety percent of why we homeschool. Um, mm. Now, I realize that wokeness is something that uh, people face everywhere all over the country it's right. it's not limited just to you know blue states 
uh, or urban settings. I mean, you can find it all over. It's something that's just corrupted uh, the educational system over the entire nation. Um, however, yeah. it's, you know, there are, uh, there is higher ground here and there. Uh, so yes. that's why we, you know, we knew we might kind of face it out here in, in Texas also, but Texas is higher ground. Um, and so that's the best we can do for right now and just kind of fight it in our fight, this, uh, indoctrination in our communities, wherever we are, but it was, you know, it's obviously bad in California. Um, mm -hmm. and that's, even though we homeschool our kids, you can't entirely avoid being affected by or impacted by the culture. Mm -hmm. uh, it's everywhere. You know, the culture is everything we swim in. I mean, you, you know, we, and we didn't, we're not the kind of, for people who don't homeschool their kids, they may not know. A lot of people still think that homeschooling is the kind of thing where, um, it's done only by religious cults and the kids are just kind of locked in the basement and taught, yeah. three, taught nothing but Bible verses all day. Uh, it's, it's not like that. It's not anything like that anymore. It's not even entirely conservative. Lots of, uh, you know, liberals, um, homeschool their kids. I don't want to say lots, but, uh, a fair percentage of homeschoolers are liberals too. So it's yeah. not what people who don't know about it might think it is because that's what it used to be but yeah. um, even though we homeschool our kids you know you can't isolate them from the culture entirely you can protect yeah. them some um but um it, so it's it, it, it we didn't want to raise our kids in that culture yeah uh, yeah we thought okay dallas or texas anyway is higher ground uh there's more sanity there we might still have to fight it there but um, easier there than than fighting a losing battle in california <laughs> I agree with you. I remember when I got here and I, I enrolled my my daughter in uh, in school here, um, and I, I told <laughs> I told Mark this one one of the one of the signs in the hallway uh, of the this this new middle school here in Texas was a sign that said "In God We Trust." <laughs> I was quite shocked. This is a public school, yeah. so yeah. Mark Richardson, can, you know, uh, the what we were talking about is culture. Maybe you can. Uh, expand upon that you know what what you were facing i mean you worked in the entertainment industry in california what what would you say the culture of southern california is actually like and what's it comparably like going to a red or a purplish area well when i was uh when i was working at a uh, working at a studio in in um in culver city mm -hmm. one of the things was like i was a receptionist also worked the mail room so while you'd have clients coming in to uh, do pitch meetings uh, for the executives, you could constantly hear the vitriol, mm. especially when Trump when Trump was in. I mean, the, these people were saying things that I don't think even a mixed company people would be offended by, but they felt so comfortable because it was an echo chamber around them. Mm. They had no fear, no fear of any repercussions to basically say whatever was on, say whatever was coming out of their out of their minds even if it was incorrect because they were never going to be corrected on it. And, uh, and I, th I think, I think you, uh, John, you and Mark brought up a very, a very good point and where we're talking about the whole uh, kind of a Marxist left leaning culture that's very yeah. prevalent here. And one of the things I was thinking about it while you guys were talking, one of the things that they have in common is, you know, China, Cuba, mm. Russia, they have, state-run media and yeah. we, we say we we don't we we like to sit back we're at home with a free 
you know, it's like land of the free, home of the brave, but we have our own, we have our state-run media. It's called ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, you know, it's like uh, uh, the, the, the Washington Post, the Houston, that's like uh, the Houston Chronicle, the LA Times, New York. I mean, I could go all the way down the line. Pretty these, much, yeah. It's like, and, and, and what is the commonality of this? A lot of these people went to journalism school to get their degrees. And we've already talked about the schools are basically, you know, uh, state-run centers for propaganda and Marxism. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, go, go, go into school, you walk out with a beret. You know, it's, it's just, <laughs> you know, it's like. And your Che Guevara t-shirt, yes. Yes. And, and you, you want to ask people questions about, even that, like, you make, we joke about that Che Guevara, but most people, when you ask them point blank, to, do you know what Che Guevara actually did? Do you know what he <laughs> no, did to these people? They and, don't know. And, then, and, and there's almost like this head in the sand, la, 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 la. And, and you, you, and you, you kind of wrap, wrap, you, you pause for a second to go. So you know you're wearing the shirt of a murderer, and you're mm. fine with that. Yeah. And it, and it really is. Is this a? And even what you, Mark, when you were talking about California, I was going to ask you guys. I was going to ask both of you a question mm -hmm. regarding the politics of California, where like like we have described, it's almost as if there's a concerted effort to drive the state into the ground, grab as much money as you can. And and have the golden parachute as 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 the ship goes down. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah. but then you sit back and you wonder. I and you, I'm sure, I'm sure you see it, Mark, and I'm sure you see it, John. Mm -hmm. We saw we saw countless interviews with politicians from San Francisco, all the down to San Diego, and down to L.A. And you would think these are rational people. Rational people. They've read. They have an idea of how to think and critically think. But you would see these situations, and almost to a person, they they would almost sit back and go, "It's almost like it's like it's like that meme. I think it's a uh, it's the meme of uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen from uh, <laughs> it's like from from Airplane, where, where the building <laughs> on fire behind him. It's like nothing yeah. to see here, people. Move along. It's like everything's okay. <laughs> it, it, it really is this obliviousness, and it's almost like borderline sociopathic. I'm going to gaslight you." And tell yeah. you what I think you want to hear, and if you don't, then I'm going to blame you for it. Meanwhile, everything's okay in my world, and you wonder mm. how are these people able to sleep at night, rationalize this, and still come out really to think that they're okay. So I pose that mm. question to you two. Uh, Go ahead, Mark. I jump, if I could jump in yeah. for a second uh, <clears throat> and back up for a moment, because I've got a great story about uh, Che Guevara T-shirts that perfectly illustrates your point, Mark. Uh, and this is apocryphal, as they say, you know, in other words, I, I don't know if it's factual, but it sounds perfectly factual. <laughs> There's a story that uh, Carlos Santana, you know, the great guitarist, but mm -hmm. he, he definitely leans left. Yes. Santana was wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt once and some <clears throat> reporter kind of confronted him about it and said, do you know what Che Guevara would have done to long-haired musicians like you? And, you know, and so the, the reporter tried to kind of lecture him a little bit about it, or an, well, not lecture him, but inform him about it. And Santana's response was, you're just getting hung up on the facts, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know that you brought up that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. don't confuse any Californian with the facts because they're my yeah, made up. The, yeah, your facts are, uh, you know, they're they're uh, harshing my narrative man you know it's uh, <laughs> uh, 
you know, they, they just don't, they don't know and they're happy in their ignorance about it. Um, but yeah, to answer your question about, about the politics, you know, the people who create these policies, they, they, they're wealthy enough to be insulated from the consequences of their own policies. So, right. And they, and they think they're saving the world. I mean, they think that they're doing right. Um, and that's why they can lie to themselves and sleep at night and lie to others because they, they think ultimately that their utopian vision of things is going to prevail and that they're on the right path and that they're on the right side of history. And, uh, you know, the rest of you are just getting hung up on the facts and, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, yes, there's going to be a tough transition period economically while we, you know, shift from late stage capitalism as they call it to, you know, this utopian sort of, democratic socialism i mean you know the these leftist policies they've just created enormous misery and death uh everywhere they've been put into practice over the 20th century i mean the 20th century is just one long litany of leftist failures that have left true by some by some counts hundreds of millions of people dead and countless more in in, in misery uh, but this time we're going to get it right. You know, this time mm. we're going to get socialism slash collectivism right. And uh, they just, it, they failed at it before because they didn't implement it correctly. But we, we know how to do it now. And so they, they really do believe that they're, they're changing the world. They're going to make it a better place. And there might be some collateral damage uh, of, you know, a, a couple of billion people who, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, need to disappear from the earth because uh, we need to save the planet. Um, it's, it's terrifying um, because they believe that they, they really believe that they're doing good. And, you know, they, they don't go home like uh, uh, who, who's the, the rich miser on the Simpsons, Mr. Burns. Oh, yeah, Mr. You know, Burns they, yeah. they don't go home and, you know, kind of grin evilly and rub their palms together and, they're really self-righteous about it, and so they they can sleep at night, um, and because they they don't have to deal with the consequences of their own policies. You're absolutely right. Yeah, Victor Davis Hanson talks a lot about that, and he's a native Californian, yeah. and he he, de he describes that mindset of the uh, the the elite, the coastal elite. Um, that still, you know, they they basically are vulturizing the prosperity of previous generations in California. And, and so they're, they're living on borrowed time, really. Um, but but yeah, the, the people who run the state of California are of that particular class of sort of nattering nabob um, oligarchs who can wag their finger at you and me all day long because they live in Palo Alto, right? And, and they don't have to worry about expensive air conditioning for people who live in Fresno or Bakersfield. Right. And they, they just pass all these crazy policies that, that uh, affect us. And so those of us like uh, those on on this call right here have decided to vote with our feet and say no more. <laughs> yeah. So let me let me move on. Um, and I want to I'm going to reference in a really great article that I found on a website called Sacred Osiris. It was written by a woman named Ann Mason, who was a um, she claims to have been a Bay Area resident who left and came came to Texas and she described so many features that um, brought about their move. And I want us to talk about that. So let me read a couple of passages. She says here at one point, so many of us, those who have left, those who are leaving and those still there, meaning California, 
are still trying to put the pieces together, trying to unravel the unraveling, trying to understand it, trying to explain it. Basically, what has happened in California, which used to be so idyllic. Yes, the political environment is responsible for much. The socioeconomic policies and environmental regulations that were gradually being implemented over the last few decades there, which exponentially accelerated the last few years, have dramatically transformed a California that once was. And the COVID lockdowns and policies over the last two years, she wrote this article in 2022, um, uh, took it beyond what any of us could really imagine. But th there was something there already underlying the culture which facilitated all of that, that permitted. So she started to talk about there's a cultural phenomenon in California that's going on that people need to understand. And then she goes on a little farther to talk about where she ended up going. She said, when we decided to leave, we were, wait a minute, no, this is not the right paragraph. Uh, where is it? Okay, here it is. Here it is. I hadn't realized until I had lived elsewhere for some time that I learned to operate under the assumption that I couldn't trust folks to follow through on their commitments. And this is describing the culture that was underlying all of the issues in California, that there was always an underlying assumption that folks usually had an ulterior motive when being helpful. I hadn't realized until I lived in a place in which folks truly value character, kindness, and friendship, that I'd been living in a place which prioritized material status and image. I hadn't realized until I lived in a place with a healthy distrust of authority that I had been living in a place with an almost religious reverence for government. And there, my friends, that to me summarizes exactly the state of mind, the cultural challenge of California. You've got a kind of a Hollywoodish plastic culture that is superimposed upon a, a people who actually love government. And that to me is creating a disaster. And I, I worked for the state myself and I saw how much, you know, they, basically the God has been ejected from the public square pretty much in the entire country, but in California yeah. very, very loudly. And now what replaces God is government. So Mark Tapson, yeah. what say you after hearing that? Yeah, you know, I grew up in the time of great rock stars and I wanted to be one, you know, the mm -hmm. 60s and the 70s. And, uh, and these guys were rebels you know culturally yeah. <laughs> culturally they were were rebels and they were rebelling against the man uh mm -hmm. you know the government and the state and uh th that was the era where uh, the man was the enemy and you know th the rebels were seeking freedom and uh uh you know love and freedom and all that and it, somewhere along the line the entertainment industry became about protecting the state and defending the yeah. state. So, so now the entertainment industry basically uh, serves the man and and promotes the man and promotes big government. And uh, uh, and the real rebels now are are the conservatives. <laughs> yeah. We're the counterculture now. Uh, and uh, we're the ones who now are in the position of having to stick it to the man. Uh, but it's just the entertainment industry now is almost uniformly. I mean, I, I call them um, the, dim, the the single most. Uh, now I've forgotten the way I phrase it myself, but they live in the the tightest bubble of any demographic yes. in the country, the entertainment field, um, because they're all left leaning. Um, well, I. 
that's a bit of an exaggeration, but the, the, the ones who are right wingers, they're on the <laughs> outside. They're not on the inside, you know, right. Uh, there are right wing entertainers, of course. Um, but for the most part, they're on the outside of the cool club and, um, uh, inside that cool club, the, the bubble is just impenetrable. And I know because mm. I lived in it, uh, even though I was not a radical, um, I was not politically radical at all. I mean, I didn't care about politics. I thought it was boring. I just wanted to either play music or do something creative. And mm -hmm. I didn't care about politics. Uh, but gradually I woke up to the fact that um, the bubble that I lived in was exactly that. And that outside that bubble, there were real people who uh, could mm. deal with you on a real level and create real relationships. And I very quickly found out that kind of as you were reading um, what, what mm -hmm. you were reading there a moment ago is that you find out that there are people outside that bubble that you can actually trust. They are good people. They are people of character. I mean, I found this out while I was actually in Hollywood because I met this, uh, this group of conservative people in Hollywood um, this kind of conservative underground. And that was the first time that I met conservative people. I, I had lived in a, a wow. left, left wing bubble, either as a musician or an academic for decades. I don't think I even knew any conservatives. And once I started meeting them in Hollywood, it was life changing because I thought, I found out that these conservatives were not the knuckle dragging racists that I had assumed they were. Right. They, 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 not only that, but they were good people. They were good-hearted people. They were smart. They cared about each other and uh, friendships. And I, I, I was able to look back and see that the friendships I thought I had when I was on the left were really shallow. And, they were, uh, and I didn't even realize it um, until I found out that there was something else, that there was an alternative. Uh, and... Um, it's, it, it was disappointing. It was, it enabled me to break from the. I began to express any kind of conservative viewpoint. I saw longtime friends just disappear. Um, wow. And um, so it's, anyway, I'm kind of rambling now, but I guess the, so I've kind of lost mm -hmm. the thread of the point, except that, um, except that, yes, the entertainment industry um, is just, it lives in this, pathetic thoughtless bubble but again mm. they you know they they think they know what they're talking about they think they know what conservatives are like that we're all you know yeah. homophobic and racist and transphobic and all this other stuff because they don't know any conservatives conservatives in hollywood lay low unless you're unless you're pretty much a superstar like john voigt mm -hmm. um, right you know then you know someone's really established or even a Chris Pratt, for example. Um, yeah, he's got to walk a very fine finish. line. Exactly, but if you're, you know, if you're not a superstar like that, you keep your head down politically. Uh, a, a lot of left wingers say, "Oh, that, uh, you know, Hollywood blacklist—that's just another conservative conspiracy theory. It's not real, but it is real. It's very real." Uh, I know many um, conservatives mm -hmm. in Hollywood who just, you know, they. Um, they don't talk about their politics at all. And uh, yeah. Mark, you, you had referred earlier to a, to conversations that people had where I think it was Mark, you said um, that they, they knew that they weren't going to be contradicted in their 
their conversations, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and yes. that's, that's exactly how many Hollywood meetings, in fact, most Hollywood meetings start is they start with people kind of getting to know each other. They start with small talk. Uh, if you don't know, you know, if you're starting to work with somebody new, like a new screenwriter or whatever, and a producer is kind of getting to know you, um, it starts off with small talk, which turns political almost invariably and quickly. Mm. And, uh, and, and part of the reason for that is they're kind of weeding people out because they don't want to have to spend the next year working on a project with a conservative or a Trump fan, you know? Wow. Heaven heaven forbid. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how almost every Hollywood meeting starts is with small talk and under, especially under the Trump administration, you know, in the Trump years, it, it invariably would go right away to condemning Trump. And that way you kind of weed out who in the room is, you know, is one of those uh, uh, knuckle draggers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so it's it, it's a very real thing in Hollywood and the entertainment industry. And uh, but you can see now that it's just, you know, they're eating themselves in Hollywood uh, because they uh, it's become so radical within Hollywood that that uh, they've just taken to eating themselves. You know, they they, they can't keep up with how anti-racist they're supposed to be you know they they, they, they can't keep up with the changing wokeness every day and so they're just yeah. uh, collapsing from within um but then and they've just written off all of america all of all of the people in the flyover states they've just written those people yeah. off as knuckle draggers and, and racist uh and so they make movies for china now basically or for the international <laughs> uh, or for or for themselves Lord. for each other you know um but anyway, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. That's all. That's that's all. Right. Yeah, Mark and I were both in, in in Hollywood one to one degree or another, and really the, the, the church that we belonged to was had started out as an arts ministry, um, and you know, may, Mark, maybe you can talk about you know our you can describe our experience of that closed mindedness even in the church, uh, in in L.A. D- due to right. that 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 insular bubble. Go ahead. Right. It was it was very. It was eye-opening and very depressing all at the same time because, you know, as we're sitting back, you know, of course, you know, the name, it's kind of funny. I was like, so many thoughts popped up while you guys were talking. When yeah. you're like, like, like the name of our show was God and Government. But if you put that in, in California, it would be me in government. Me in government, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because just, just government. Yeah, it's just, just government, you know. It's, yeah. And, and, um, and just... just I mean, talking about the church was because you did. We had a lot of musicians. We had a lot of actors. We had a lot of screenwriters. We had, it was like, you know, uh, directors. So we had people in that industry. Now, technically, we're all supposed to be following God. You know, it's like, and learning, it's like learning to become more like Jesus. Oh, that's right. But there was an asterisk yep. by that. And the an asterisk was as long as you agree with me. <laughs> or or, or yeah. as, long as, you, as long as you agree with my dogma. And, uh, I think one of the ways, well, one of the big tipping points with us was, of course, the George the George Floyd incident, mm. and and I guess the best equivalent that I've had, I even talked to my wife about this, is to our lead pastor. To me, he he basically performed the equivalent of pulling the pin on a grenade and throwing it into a, a classroom and closing the door and walking away, mm. because because he made he made some very incendiary comments, and he was trying to wrap God around these incendiary comments. When you sit back and go, what God, Jesus wouldn't even talk like that. He wouldn't, he'd be more of a reconciliation as opposed yeah. to 
well, opposed to the anger and vitriol that he that he uh, that he was um, presenting, and that mm. started that started driving a wedge, even between people in the ministry. I, I've I, John will uh, John will testify this as well. People who had known each other 15, 20 years in the ministry had yeah. their kids. Their, their kids grew up with it's like they grew up with their kids. People turning around and 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 espousing white guilt, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and uh and 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 they're and they're bringing up books to read for the for the church from uh uh what's what Ibram, was Ibram Kendi yeah Ibram Kendi. Kendi. and even when I even read I even read a snippet of the book and I presented it to the leadership going this is you do realize there's nothing sane or rational about this author he, he basically <laughs> he's basically a bomb thrower a racist <laughs> a race baiter an ambulance chaser. I could keep going down the line, and and I basically we I think both myself and John got the equivalent of, well, thank you for your input. Next. Yeah, pretty much. Huh. Yeah, next. <laughs> and huh. even, even what you were talking about, Mark, you know, just it, it is that uh, the insular bubble. It brings up a story that still circulates around, not as much as it used to. Uh, uh, Phyllis Shafflin, back in the mm-hmm. like, 60s yeah. and 70s, with Nick with Nixon. And she was at a cocktail party, and the, the conversation invariably came to Nixon and his policies. And she turned to one of her one of her party goers and went, "I don't, I don't know any, no one that I know that voted for Nixon." And that is, and that encapsulates the leftist mindset. It's they're 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 shocked that anyone who's not one of theirs would vote for a person like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, and you you don't know what to say to that. You're like. You know that there are other people who disagree with you, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> have a discussion or, or a debate. Yeah, that's that's what the the culture of California. That that's the thing that I think ultimately underpins all of the, the challenges that I had with it. Like there, there's something in in the culture that reveres government too too much, that reveres political correctness too much, and that does not welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, divergent viewpoints and it's filtered is what maybe, maybe it, it started with Hollywood because it was such a powerful industry and it's managed to filter its way into like a very beautiful state with a very diverse population, but it's filtered its way into all kinds of industries and churches and schools and whatnot. And it, it's, you know, wokeness on acid at this point. Um, and, and God forbid that the rest of the country should embrace any of this, this California ideology because it will be disaster real quick. So yeah. let me let, let me do let me uh, sort of wind us up here. Uh, I want to bring in I'm going to read a scripture and, and talk about uh, this, the, you know, the Texas, the, the leaving phenomenon and, you know, why maybe we should, you know, people of our mindset should leave. So there's a passage in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus this uh, he sends out his disciples into the mission field, basically, to preach his message. And he says to them uh, in Matthew 10, verse 14, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now, the reason I read that is that this gives us some insight into the the mindset of Jesus and what he wants people who follow him to do 
in the world. He basically says, I want you to go out and be my ambassadors. I want you to share my message with other people. But I don't want you to do it in a way that you're beating your head against the wall. If you come to a place and they don't welcome you, dust your feet off and move on and just know that by them rejecting your message, hey, Sodom and Gomorrah is going to do better on the day of judgment than than these cities that reject you. Now, I take that and I transplant it. It's not a perfect analogy, but we jump to the modern times, place like the state of California, San Francisco, Los Angeles, so on. You know, this is a place where sort of the message that the three of us embrace, the Judeo-Christian ethic, the traditional values, you know, the more conservative constitutional kind of values are simply not all that welcome uh, in any company, really. It's very, you have to, you know, Mark and I were walking around church for years not knowing that we shared the same philosophy. It was hard to find somebody else that shared the philosophy. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) so really what Jesus, I would say, is saying to people like us is like, you know what? You've tried enough, dust your feet off and leave. I've heard Dan Bongino talk about this a lot, too. He, he's a guy who left the blue states and went to Florida, right? He says, get out. He, he Don't fight this anymore. Get out. And that, you know, that's what I came down to is, you know what? I can't fight this battle any longer. I've got my family to think about. I have my own spirituality to think about, my economics to think about. Why in the world would I stay here? And ignored the command of Jesus to dust my feet off and just go somewhere else that would welcome me and my my ideas. So, Mark Tapson, what would you say, you know, to your friends maybe who are still back there in California or in some other red state? What's your advice in that regard? Well, I've been encouraging my friends to move out here with me. (laughs) (laughs) And and I know that I know that that's not really possible for a lot of people. I mean, I had kind of special circumstances. I mean, I, I yeah. work from home and I could work from anywhere. And so it, it's different for a lot of people, but I, I do tell my friends, you know, come with us because, uh, you, you know, it's just, you're, we're, you're living in a failed state and it's not going to get any better. Um, yeah. So, I mean, reluctantly we left and, um, but I think we, I think we made the right decision. And I think I made the right decision for my family too. And, and for mm. my kids for their future, we, you've got to protect the, the next generation. You've got to protect your kids. Um, you know, you can't isolate them from the world, but you also don't have to just throw them into, uh, the deep end of the pool. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what we were facing in California was it, we just felt like a shrinking minority there and that things were going to get seriously worse, especially for Christian kids uh, and Christian families. We're becoming more and more marginalized by the culture. Um, mm. You know, there's a lot of the left likes to talk about, oh, Christian nationalists, they want to take over the country. Blah, blah. Well, the, the fact of the matter is that Christians are being increasingly marginalized in our culture and politically, too. Yes. Uh, and I think it's I think it's just going to get worse. And I think Christians, because I think we're in a culture now that is post-secular. I, I don't even think we live in a secular culture anymore. I think we mm. live in a pagan culture. Uh, and yeah. that, that's a whole other topic. But um, it's it's getting worse, and I think Christians need to uh, come to you. This is an, an original idea of mine, by the way. There's a writer named Rod Dreher who's written a book called The Benedict Option and another one called mm-hmm. Tell Not, or Live Not by Lies. 
both of which encourage Christians to realize that we're facing uh, increasing what he calls soft persecution or soft totalitarianism, right. but that it's going to it's going to get harder, and we need to increase our faith and strengthen our communities, um, strengthen our network of fellow Christians, and and prepare for harder times to come. So I I, I think that's what Christians um, have to to do now um, is get ready for for harder times before they get better. Wow! Well, great advice. Great advice. Mark Richardson, any, any closing thoughts on, on this topic? I'll just make it as quick as I can. I think I agree with you, Mark. I mean, for example, like, like our, like our church, our small little church up here in North Carolina, what we're doing, what we're doing is we're starting to divert, like diversify ourselves. We're going to more house churches. I'd say some people call it that we call the micro churches here. And what we're doing is we're, we're investing in the community, you know, as opposed to just going to going to a building or a church. And yes, inviting people there and worshiping. We're instead, if, if instead, it's we're inviting people into our homes, you know, to break bread and talk That's with them. Yep. Yeah. And, then, and, then we, and then we go out and we, it's like we, it's like we do, we do some work with a, uh, with uh, uh, nursing homes. Uh, it's like uh, retirement villages. You know, it's like uh, even go going like to Kiwanis and various other clubs, and organizations, and making God's presence known there, and within our community. As, as, as opposed to us inviting you, we want to come to you so you can understand our lives. And I think that's something that's we was like we're it was like we're in a battle. I mean, uh, there's a podcast, uh, Red Red Pilled America, and the whole thing they mm -hmm. talk about there is they were in they were in the entertainment industry, and they talked about the storytellers. That's that's where mm -hmm. that's yes. that's one thing I'm trying to work on right now. I want to be a conservative. I want to be a storyteller, not necessarily a conservative storyteller. But a storyteller without the agenda mm -hmm. to yeah. be able to tell those yeah. stories, and that's what we have to do as conservatives. And that's what we have to do as people who are becoming are becoming tired of this. The movies will tell you that right now. People don't go to the movies anymore because they don't like what they're seeing. Mm. We have an opportunity to do that. It's going to cost money to basically create that set that shadow culture, different studios, because you're not going to get Sony. You're not going to get. Um, yeah. Warner Brothers, you're not going to get them to go. They're, you're not going to get them to change their viewpoint. They, mm. They're too far in. We have to be different. We have to make those decisions. We have to show there's a different alternative out there. Right, right. I totally well, agree. All, all great stuff, guys. I really uh, appreciate this discussion. So, Mark Tapson, where can our listeners find you? Tell, tell them where they can find you online. Thanks. You know, the best place to go to actually is my Substack page, uh, which is, um, what is it? It's marktapson.substack.com. Okay. Uh, or you can just go to substack.com and search for Culture Warrior, and that's that's me. Culture Warrior, yes. And then your podcast is called The Right Take, yes? Yeah, I do have a podcast. It's about the intersection of politics and culture, so it's a lot about the kind of thing we talked about today mm -hmm. uh, or in some of the topics that we touched on. Uh, I have a lot of great guests on it, and so it's it's really worth checking out. I had Seth Dillon from the Babylon Bee. Um, the oh yeah, I heard. Yeah, that was Babylon a great, Bee. that was a great interview. Yes. Yeah, and so uh, so I, I I'm lucky to have some really interesting guests on there. It's called the Right Take. The Right Take. I say market. I think there's also. <laughs> I say market. You ever the Right Take? <laughs> you know, if you're ever interested, 
If you're ever interested in having a couple of guys have a little small dog and pony uh, podcast on your show, it's like I'm sure we'd be only we'd only be too happy to go on and, and expose uh, expose some different viewpoints. You know, I'm just saying. James that's go ahead. That's a good idea. Well, we'd be more than happy to do so. And thank you, thank you, Mark Richards for uh, for the shameless self promotion. I I do shameless. Yes. I do shameless very well. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, to all our listeners out there, you can find us uh, on Anchor, the Anchor platform, anchor.fm backslash God and Government. You can search for God and Government on Spotify, and you can find us on uh, social media at God and Government. So, gentlemen, enjoy your evening and stay safe out there. Everyone take care. Yeah, Peace thank out. you guys very much. You got it. Peace out. All right. Peace out.